The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, and so this is one of those times I have a, a couple things to say. <laughs> um, so these will be, uh, these little snips of what I offer are going to be posted on Audiodharma. Um, so the thing about when you see, uh, you know, you pick, up, you pick up the phone and then you see, gone. This is actually great. You know, you're seeing when you're getting lost. And this is a great, uh, this is a great um, thing to highlight for yourselves. Where is it that mindfulness gets lost throughout your day? You know, are there particular activities? Are there particular states of mind? So we've heard a couple. We heard one, uh, you know, say, uh, one person saying, when there's stress, there's less mindfulness. When you pick up the phone, there's less mindfulness. I mean, you notice the moment of picking up the phone, but then you, you get hooked into it. And so, um, you know, rather than having a sense of this is a problem, seeing if you can increase the curiosity around where you get lost. You know, what is it that, um, you know, you know, for instance, Jeff, you know that headed into the picking up the phone, you're likely to get lost. And so if there can be a little bit of increase in what is it that happens there? Kind of like add a little salt to the, to the mix. <laughs> you know, add a little salt to what is it, why is it that, that I get lost there? Or, you know, the other, the, the other one about, you know, with stress, what's going on there that, that makes it less likely to be mindful? Um, I mean, that seems obvious in a way, right? I mean, it seems obvious. And yet in our own minds, there's going to be something that uh, is the mindfulness black hole. So, um, so, you know, curiosity about our mindfulness black hole. Some of you might notice you walk into the kitchen and open the refrigerator and there's the black hole, you know. Um, what is it? What is it for you? And then when you begin to notice those areas... Just the very noticing, wow, I lose mindfulness at that time. Um, then, you know, the, the having exposed the times where you lose mindfulness, you have the opportunity to, in advance, recognize, oh, I'm headed to the kitchen. Let's see when I lose mindfulness this time, you know. Or, wow, there's stress today. Let's see if, if there can be some interest in why, that my, my, why mindfulness gets lost and what happens around the around the phone, you know, why does mindfulness get lost? Pause. Go ahead and, yeah. Um, So you said that usually in the past when you've woken up in the night, you have, uh, you know, tried to distract yourself with reading or something, and it's been like four hours before as you said, you know, the, the mind kind of shuts it down, shuts down the anxiety, and you can go back to sleep. And then you said that last night you actually paid attention to the anxiety, and it was unpleasant. It is, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's not, it's counterintuitive. You know, this whole practice of being mindful of challenging emotions, of, uh, of things like anxiety, frustration, stress is, I mean, it's like, what, what good is this going to do? I mean, isn't this just making it worse? That's what our mind tells us in a way. And yet what you discovered was that uh, it did help. In fact, it seemed to help more quickly 
You know, you said it took about an hour. You you practiced, you know, the loving kindness practice for about an hour, and and it did kind of settle down a little bit. And so that's that's something to learn about the value of the mindfulness. You know that in fact when we do open to what's challenging, when we do open to what's difficult, especially in daily life. I mean, in daily life, we're much more inclined to shut down um, and just think, you know, I'll just distract myself until this is over. <laughs> um, and the, the um, unfortunately, when we shut down or when we, like, aren't aware, our very habits which have been well-conditioned around anxiety, around, you know, our relationship to um, these difficult emotions, they're actually what's running the show. And so when they can be seen, one of the analogies I sometimes use uh, is like this practice of mindfulness is like, it's like a washing machine you know, you, you put the dirty clothes in the washing machine and then you, you add the soap and water and then there's the agitation. Um, and the, the, um, the soap in the water, the way, the way, you know, soap works, it's, that, you know, a chemical reaction, you know, it pulls, it attracts the dirt to it. It gets through the, the clothes, it gets agitated through the clothes and it, the, the, the soap draws the dirt and then, the the soap is pulled into the water, and so then the water gets dirty. So it becomes more obvious to us, in a way, the dirt that, that was in the clothes, because it's now in the water. And so mindfulness kind of works that way. It's like it makes obvious to us the pain, the distress of what's happening. But it's conscious now, so it's like it's getting pulled into the the water of consciousness. So the water's kind of like awareness. The soap is the mindfulness. And the agitation is the energy, the effort to stay present. And all of those together uh, pull, begin to pull into our awareness the things that are... The, the the states of mind that that are not that that are basically happening in our you know what's happening in our minds the things that are below the level of awareness get pulled into our consciousness and we think it's a problem you know it's like this is unpleasant this isn't the way it's supposed to be and yet what mindfulness is really doing is revealing what's already there and then allowing it through consciousness to be let go to be released so you know it's not a mistake when with mindfulness we see, wow, this is difficult, this is unpleasant. And if we can, if we can remember, remind ourselves that it's not, um, uh, it's not a problem that it's being seen, and actually it's better than it's being seen, because when it's not seen below the level of consciousness, when it's not seen, it's like, it's running the show. It, the, those states, you know, anxiety is running the show and frustration is running the show and the, it's deciding what it's deciding. It's making our decisions for us. And so the, having it pulled into consciousness is good news. And that's a, a shift of perspective that um, is really helpful to remind us ourselves of. And yes, there will be a version. This another piece that's really helpful 
in, um, in our daily life practice, in our sitting practice, is when we do see something challenging. You know, so there's, there's anxiety happening, and I don't like it. There's, there's uh, you know, these various uh, difficult emotions, and we, you know, we want to get rid of them, or we want to fix them, or change them. To uh, acknowledge and also open to that relationship is another very helpful tool in our toolkit. So, yes, there's anxiety and I don't like it. It's like we don't have to convert that liking, that not liking into liking in order to watch the anxiety. It's helpful to know there's not liking happening, but we don't have to say, oh, you know, it's like, it's not like it becomes with mindfulness, oh, I really like this anxiety. But it becomes more, oh, there's anxiety, that's interesting. Oh, there's not liking, that's interesting. So that it it shifts our relationship around, um, you know, it's, it's anxiety. If we don't like the anxiety and we aren't aware of that, again, that's kind of below the level of our consciousness. So if we can recognize, oh, there's anxiety. Oh, and I don't like it. Oh, look at that. It's like we we come into alignment with truth. I talked about this a little bit last night around thoughts and beliefs. You know, acknowledging a thought and the belief that's going along with it. Not to say that we have to, you know, there's a thought in the mind and... We might try to convince ourselves that that thought is not true. You know, oh, you know, I'm a failure. Well, that thought's not true. You know, we're trying to convince ourselves of, of the, the non-truthness of that. It's fighting the belief in that thought. You know, so there's a kind of a conflict. But when we can, we can come into alignment with, oh, there's a thought that I'm a failure and there's a belief that I'm a failure. Those two things are happening that's actually what's going on in the mind. And so likewise with the anxiety and the not liking or the anxiety and the, the aversion to it, it's like, oh, there's anxiety and there's aversion. That's what's happening in the mind. And sometimes the mind can kind of relax when it's like, oh, this is actually what's going on. At least that's been my experience, that when, when there's actually an acknowledgement, this is what's going on in the mind. It's like the, the system kind of goes, oh, that's what's happening. I can be with that. Sure, there's anxiety and, and I don't like it. Well, of course I don't like anxiety. You know, why, you know so, so just you know, opening to not only the, uh, the state of mind, but also our relationship to it. And a, a, a useful exploration. You know, I've suggested in daily life just what's obvious. Notice what's obvious as you wake up. Um, so you're opening the refrigerator door and you wake up. So what's obvious? You know, there's the pull, the leaning in to the, you know, looking for food or, you know, wanting to satisfy something. And then, um, you know, what's my relationship to this? And it sometimes, what, sometimes paradoxically, our mindfulness practice brings judgment with it. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to want things or um, I, should, I should be more aware or, you know, so just noticing what is it? What is our relationship? to our experience. So noticing what's obvious and then, and what's my relationship to this? That can help to expose other things that are below the level of the surface of our uh, consciousness. Bringing them into consciousness which, is, which allows them to kind of be more uh, washed away, <laughs> you know, letting, letting the mindfulness do its job. And so, um, you know, we begin to get more 
familiar as we practice, one of the things we get more familiar with, and I mentioned this last night, kind of in passing almost, is how valuable mindfulness is. You know, we begin to really appreciate the um, mindfulness as something that supports us. I mean, yes, it reveals unpleasant experience at times. And yet the more we, we recognize the, the way it works, that by revealing these unpleasant things, it, it helps them to be released, the more we appreciate the value of mindfulness and the more inclined we are to go there even when it feels difficult or unpleasant. There's kind of a, a way that we begin to appreciate the... Uh, Almost, sometimes, it's funny, sometimes, you know, the, when I'm looking at something, oh, there's, there's suffering, oh, look at how the mind is, you know, getting caught by that. The mindfulness of that, you know, there's that unpleasant and unpleasantness of that experience of being caught, and yet the mind is really happy that it's seeing it. And so there's a, there's a little bit of joy that comes also, you know, when you can appreciate the value of mindfulness, there can also be the joy that's, uh, with just being engaged with the process. So you can turn it off. Yeah, yeah Pause I just it. wanted to say that. Um, just around working with the precepts, you know, that you said there was the initial horror. And there is, there is, a, I, I just want to tease apart a couple pieces there. Because there is the, the recognition of, oh, I actually, I actually killed a being here. And then there can be um, the piling on of self-recrimination and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if that happened or not. I don't necessarily see here that that happened. But just, I, just for, the, the, for the room, I want to, you know, clarify that, that, that there are those two pieces. And that the, there, there is, in our uh, exploration of the precepts, when we break a precept, it's really helpful to learn how to relate skillfully to that. And um, there is the acknowledgement of, wow, that I broke that precept, and that wasn't a helpful thing, you know, both for myself and for other. You know, the Buddha, the Buddha talks about, is it harmful for self or other or both? And in both cases, it, it was harmful for both. That, that mind state of aversion, of wanting to get rid of delusion, actually. It sounds more like delusion because was, it was like the mind was just kind of, oh, this is what we do with ants, you know, as, as opposed to, you know, there being a real anger about the ant, perhaps. It was just more like, oh, this is what we do. It's like, oh, whoa, <laughs> you know, look at that delusion. Look at that kind of veil there. Um, and so uh, just to tease apart those two, the, the working with the precepts is not about beating yourself up and telling yourself you're a horrible person and how you failed around the precepts and, you know, that kind of thing. It, that, that's a habit that we have in a way, I think, around our... Um, mm, at least in my, in my experience, I found that judging myself, it's like I believed somehow that judging myself and being hard on myself and beating myself up would somehow make it less likely that I would do it in the future. You know, that, that that was the way my mind was working. If I tell myself I'm a really horrible person here, then I'm less likely to do this in the future. Didn't actually work very well. So, so that's teasing apart both the, the, the recognition of, 
oh, this is what happened and it wasn't helpful. That's alignment with truth. You know, that it's the acknowledgement, this is what happened and it wasn't a skillful thing to do. That's a um, wholesome quality that has a, a, a little bit of a feeling of, oh, you know, so all our, some of our, there, there are some wholesome emotions that have a little bit of a oh, feeling to it. Um, that this is the quality the, the Buddha called hiri. There are two qualities around working with the precepts. Uh, hiri, otapa, in the Pali. Hiri basically means, um, I like Han Jeff's translation of these two, conscience. It's like, yeah, that wasn't such a good thing to do. It's like we have a conscience about the actions that we've, we've had. It's like, you know, it's a way that we can revisit our uh, actions, review, reflect on our actions, and recognize clearly that was helpful, that wasn't helpful. So that's the, the kind of just a, a very clear mind looking back and saying, yes, that was helpful, that wasn't helpful. It doesn't have to add, and I'm such a horrible person. It's just looking at that wasn't that wasn't helpful. Why wasn't it helpful? What was I, what was I, what was the the caughtness about? And in this case, maybe it was delusion. Maybe it was just not non presence of mind. Um, maybe motivated or, or combined with the the habit of you know aversion from earlier in life around we get rid of ants. You know something like that. So that's one side of it. So, so to tease them apart, it, it takes a, a lot of honesty and courage to acknowledge to ourselves, wow, that wasn't helpful in a way that isn't hating ourselves for it. So, you know, just, just beginning to explore that, tease, tease apart that conscience from self-recrimination. And as you pointed out, the, the, your, your friends saying, oh, he's okay, I'll take it outside. You know, it's like we, and I mentioned this last night, we tend to, what our minds do is they tend to, when we've done something that we recognize wasn't so helpful, I found my mind like going to great lengths to justify it. And it's kind of stunning, you know? It's like, well, that was really an okay thing to do because of X, Y, and Z, and it's like, that, that mind state, really helpful to begin to recognize. And so that's a piece that you saw kind of modeled for yourself by your friend. You know, it's like, oh, this is what my mind does. It, it actually tries to make myself feel better in ways that maybe aren't so helpful. You know, so. Right, with, with the intense. So, um, yes, and so the, the, um, the other... The other piece of the, those two, Hiri and Otapa, the Otapa is concern, um, so conscience and concern, and um, the uh, concern piece is a kind of a looking forward. It's like we look, it, it's, it's, a, it's a recognition of almost like the, the modeling aspect of our minds that they can go forward and, and think through what's going to be the consequences of this. And in that modeling forward, in that looking forward, we recognize, oh, that's going to be an unhelpful outcome. And so, you know, we cannot go there with that. Um, so I just wanted to get those two pieces out there. And then, you know, in terms of working with the, 
the precepts when we have broken a precept like that. Teasing apart the self-recrimination from the um, actual true acknowledgement. Okay, it's like this. And that wasn't such a good thing to do. And then recommitting to the precept. That's a helpful piece. For myself, that one was actually... um, I I had trouble. I got stuck in a loop around the... um, telling myself it wasn't a helpful thing to do. And there was a, a subtle thing of, you know, I'm a bad person in that. It wasn't a helpful thing to do. And one of my teachers, one of my monastic teachers, when I was caught in a loop like this, he said, well, just take the precepts again. And um, I did that right with him. And then he said, now your sila is purified. Now your ethical conduct is purified. And it's, it, that, that made me see, oh, I see. It's about committing now and going forward. So I was hanging on to the past, that I did this thing. It's, that meant for me that because I did that thing forever into the future, my, my, you know, my, my ethical conduct is polluted. And he pointed out to me, no, in this moment you can really just recommit and step forward into the next moment with that intention. And that's how the training works around the precepts. So um, that was a a little bit of a long uh, response to your um, comment. But I think it's important in terms of working with the precepts to have a skillful use of them as training rather than as, you know, commandments, you know, thou shalt not. That, I think we, uh, in our culture, we have a relationship to that kind of thing as, you know, thou shalt not, and then we flagellate ourselves, and there's a repression around that. That the exploration around the precepts, I look at the precepts almost as being like mindfulness bells for us. If we're heading into breaking one of the precepts, it's pointing out to us, hey, there's something to pay attention to here, and so helping us to wake up. And in this case, it helped you to wake up right afterwards. And so you can be grateful to it for that reason. Yeah. Let's do this. So there's something about the stance of the mind that is curious about what's happening in the present moment. I was talking on Sunday about curious mindfulness. You know, the mindfulness that has curiosity to it is kind of being what we're cultivating here. It, it's that stance of curious mindfulness that um, allows, something about that allows, uh, some, allows difficulty to kind of wash through us. And, you know, the washing machine analogy again. It allows it to wash through us. And, um, you know, the, the, the mode of either repressing or expressing, paradoxically, the repressing also increases that state. It's like, you know, that, that, it's like that, that emotion of whatever it is, it wants to be felt. Emotions actually want to wash through us. And when we try to prevent them from doing that, it's like they build in order to get to the place where they can come out almost. So it's like the, the, repressing, the repressing of an emotion actually paradoxically um, locks it into place and keeps it, keeps it going. It doesn't allow it to simply wash through. The indulging in the emotion also kind of keeps it going. 
And something about the stance of that curious mindfulness, it's like it, it, um, it creates the conditions in our mind for those states to just kind of like, emotions can have a wave-like feeling to them. You know, it's like they, they may get strong and then they let go, they, they decrease. So that stance of curious mindfulness creates the conditions for um, those uh, states of mind to not be stuck in a loop. There's a, did I talk about the 90-second rule? I don't think I talked about the 90-second rule on, on Sunday. Did I talk about the 90-second the, for the emotions? No, okay. Um, so some people say I did. I'll, I'll just restate it. Some people don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> um, that, that neurobiologists have seen that when there's a kind of an emotional release of, um, you know, of um, the, the, the emotions in our, in our system are because of a... Uh, release of neuro, neurotransmitters. And if there is just a single release of those neurotransmitters, it will wash through our system within about 90 seconds, a minute and a half. It'll wash through our system. And uh, it's kind of like, it's, I mean, I almost think of it like, you know, something happens. We have a memory of something and a button is pushed in our brain and it releases the sad chemical. And there we are. Okay, we're sad. And if we don't push that button again, that sadness will wash through in about 90 seconds. So something about the curious mindfulness stance allows us to not push that button again. And both the repressing and expressing is kind of like we're, we keep pushing that button it keeps releasing those chemicals through our system. It keeps the sadness going. And something about the stance of curious mindfulness allows that experience to happen without us, you know, like stepping on the lever and saying, oh, you know, oh, that, that thing happened. Oh, every thought we would have around that thing happening, every time we, we bring it up in our minds again, it's almost like, oh, they shouldn't have done that or... I, you know, that was a terrible thing that happened. You know, those thoughts are like pushing the button again and releasing the chemicals again. So the, something about the stance of mindfulness allows us to be with something without re-upping the, the state. So it does allow it to wash through. It does allow it to wash through more, more quickly. So it's... Uh, Again, you know, what you were seeing there is the value of mindfulness. So it's really helpful to recognize that piece, you know, to recognize how valuable that is. Thank you. <laughs> Paradoxically, sometimes uh, we do, you know, that sometimes backing off of the effort actually creates the conditions for there to be more mindfulness. It's almost like sometimes the very effort we're making is getting in the way of the mindfulness. And so if you're really finding a struggle and you've been trying really hard, 
try backing off. You know, that's, that's, I, I see that happen a lot, both in my sitting practice and in daily life. That, you know, it's like I'm looking for something. I'm trying to do the mindfulness. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And, and the mind kind of gets tight and frustrated and negative, as you describe. And then I remember, oh, right, you know, what if I just relax? You know, and then it's like, what if I try not to see this? You know, just like, and then the mind just like, oh, right. It's just here. It's already here. And so sometimes in the very moment of backing off, I mean, the very moment when you recognize, wow, I'm trying too hard or something, that moment itself is a moment of there's awareness there. And then just relax and you know, stop trying so hard. Because I've seen that happen a lot, that almost the, tr- the very trying of the doing of mindfulness is actually what's getting in the way of being mindful. So, yeah, I mean, exploring that, that uh, I think that's a really helpful uh, strategy at times. Yeah. Okay, thank you.